having you here. Um, we started last week a new series that we're going to be going through. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to give a little setup, but we simply call it 52. Um, I'm going to explain where we uh, got that from in a moment. The inspiration for this series is, is from the book of Nehemiah. Um, it's, a, it's an Old Testament historical book. Um, the, the things that were going on in Israel at that time, and there was a man, Nehemiah, that God called um, for a purpose and a, and a plan. And, uh, and so we're not going to go through that entire book. We're not going to we're not going to do like a verse by verse study, which some people may do or certain people do. But we're going to be looking at principles uh, from the book of, of Nehemiah, how they apply to us, and what that Old Testament book speaks to us today. Because how many of us know that the Word of God is alive, it's powerful, it's active, and it is applicable for us? Although written many many years ago, God is speaking through His Word, and so. Last week we did a, a little intro to the series. I'm going to give again a little bit of historical context from the book of Nehemiah. It is an Old Testament book. It's a story of Israel's part of Israel's history. But it's also a type, it's a symbol, it's a prophetic picture, I believe, of the church, the people in the church for us today. Um, the beautiful part of it is a story of redemption, it's a story of healing, it's a story of restoration. Um, and I believe that it's the story that reveals the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and then how He can take a life, He can take a mess, He can take our brokenness, and He can redeem and rebuild and renew us. Amen? Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that God has that kind of power? And I believe that this story points us to the redemptive power of God. And so, here's kind of the key verse. We're going to look at this. Uh, let's go to the next slide. From here, Nehemiah 6.15, it's kind of that, where we get the, 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 the series name 52. And so it says this, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun, we began today to look at the components, again, a principle of what God is speaking. And this little passage of Scripture the mouthful that is there, the profound significance of that on October 10th of the wall is just 52 days after we have begun. That God does not need much time. Now, and I said this last week, I'm not, I'm not trying to put a magical thing on the thing 52 that if you commit to something 52 days, your world is going to completely change. Here's a process, and we're going to get into that today more in depth. But I love that the people were called to do something. And they did their part, and God did His part, and it was a miraculous, redemptive story. So here's what happened. Historical context, because of sinfulness and disobedience, and you can, you're going to see this play out from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve in the garden. God gives them rule and reign, but then they sin, they, they, they basically become God of their own lives. That, that, that to me is the foundation of every sinful behavior. It's, I will be God. God tells us how to live, and He has the best way for us, and we choose to live our own life. We choose to be our own God. And in Israel's history, and even in our own history, we struggle with that, right? 
That's our own issue. But in Israel's history, you see this kind of roller coaster. Times where they were really serving God and they were doing well, and then they would forsake God, and there would be great kings sometimes, and then wicked kings, and they would plummet down. And, 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 and because of sinfulness and disobedience during this time, the prophetic word of the Lord, and God spoke to the prophets and said, Tell my people to come back to me. And he would call them to repentance and he would say, Get right, I have a great plan for you. And it's a plan like Jeremiah to plan to prosper you and give you hope and a future. And even in the midst of that, the people were saying, no, we will do our own thing. And a part of the prophecy was that God told him, he said, you are going, if you continue on this journey, you will go into exile. You will be scattered. You will be taken out of your land, and you will and, 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 and you can tell captive. And that is exactly what we see here. So we pick up the story here in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is from Israel, from Jerusalem. And he is now, he's a part of this group that was exiled in one area. And they were sent all over the place. But he is in the area of Susa. He's working for a foreign king. And he is the king's cupbearer. And so he gets word that the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed. And again, if you go back, remember God promised that they would be a great nation. And he had great promises. And at one time, the walls in the city were huge. And it was, they were thanking God. And they were like, look at what God has done. And, and with God, we will be an impenetrable force, right? And there was just great separation at one time. But then you go enough in history and enough sinfulness and disobedience, they were taking captive the walls, this great symbol of strength. And greatness is shattered and brought down to nothing. And so Nehemiah gets word that the walls are crushed and crumbled. And he weeps and he prays and, and he and God calls him and says, I want you to be a part, a leadership role in the rebuilding of that wall. And so he goes, and we're going to get more into that as we go um, go forward, but he gets and there's a vision, there's a mission. He calls his people and he says, uh, each person has a specific duty that they will do. We are going to work together. We're going to fight against the enemy, but we're going to work in unity. And it says just 52 days after they began this, they rebuilt the wall. It's miraculous, really, if you think about the destruction that was done there. That 52 days is a very short time. And they, they had to... Uh, fight against the adversaries. There was intimidation. Whenever you are walking in the things of God and whenever you are obedient to the things of God, the enemy does not want you to do that and he will try to intimidate you. He will try to come against you and he will battle against you. And at some point down the road, we're going to be talking about the warfare and how to fight the right way. And so here we have them in this place of exile and Nehemiah gets the word, but and so the first component today that we're going to talk about, so that, that's a little bit of context for today. So we get, today we're going to jump into the first component of where the people began, and it begins with prayer. Specifically, the purpose of prayer. And that's why I called today the purpose of prayer. That is where Nehemiah began, and that is where we began. And no matter where you're at today, whatever is going on in your life, again, the, the hope 
that I have in this series is that God will begin to do in you and to take you to a place in Him that you never thought possible. And maybe your past or there's some brokenness. Maybe there's some things and some issues that you've walked through. Maybe it's your own heart and your life. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Something in your heart and your mind has been broken down. Maybe you've never totally surrendered. God wants to give you hope that if you will do it like His way, you will surrender your heart to Him. He will walk with you through this process and you will see your heart and your mind rebuilt and walking in the things God has for you. I'm excited. I believe that, and that's my prayer for us. And we're going to begin the purpose of prayer. What are you believing the Lord for? I encourage you to write that down. You know, what am I believing the Lord for? Maybe it's maybe not your own life. Maybe it's somebody that you're burdened for. And again, the idea is that you look at the wall or you look at my life and whatever analogy you want to, you want to take is you know, broken in a million pieces and who could ever put this back together again? We serve a redeeming and restoring God that can take our mess and He can redeem it. And He can heal it. So let's go to the scripture today. We're going to begin in Nehemiah 1. And here's, here's where we're going to begin. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I, talking about Nehemiah, he said, I was in the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, so one of his brothers, comes and came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity. And so there is a return back to Jerusalem. This is also what's going on at the same time is Ezra is called to rebuild the temple. And so there is a coming back into Jerusalem. And so he, he's asking, how are things going? And the people that are there and they're, they're going back to, to Jerusalem, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. And here's the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So there's this reality of what's going on. Guys, let me stop there. Sometimes we need to take an honest look at our lives, right? We need to do an honest inventory and say, Lord, show me those areas that are broken down. And then come to Him with a truthful and honest word. And, and sometimes when the Lord points those things out in our heart, it is not for our shame, but it's to begin a place of healing, that we can begin a place of restoration. He said, it's not good. Verse 4, let's go to the next last slide here. Just destroyed by fire. When I heard this, he says, I sat down and I wept. In fact, the days I mourned, fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, and I love this, this is kind of where we're going to be at today. Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. I'm going to stop right there because he prays more things, but we're going to look at more of that later. He begins this thing by just declaring who God is. There's been much said on prayer. There's a lot of books written on prayer. There's probably been millions of sermons preached on prayer. The why of prayer. Why do we pray? How do we pray? What should we pray for? Many approach prayer in times of crisis or bad circumstances. You're going through a hardship, you're going through a very difficult season, and you cry out to God. There's that old thing, some of you guys might remember it, is there, there are no atheists in the box. Have you ever heard that one? 
The idea was that when you're in combat and bullets are flying by your head and you are in the heat of battle, there's very few atheists there. We're praying to something, whether we believe it or not. We're praying to something. And a lot of times people approach prayer as, God, I'm going through a bad thing and I need you to get me out of this thing. Now, not that that's a bad prayer. And there are times when we pray in those situations, but it shouldn't be the only time we're talking to God. Because during the, the, this season in Israel's history, it was horrible, wasn't it? I mean, this is bad circumstances. I mean, things are really, really bad, and, and God will use things sometimes to get our attention to bring us to Himself. And so you see them praying, but it's interesting even how Nehemiah, he doesn't start out by saying, God, we're in a mess, get us out of it. He begins by declaring who God is. Sometimes God, we, we want God to get us out of the, our current negative circumstances. And, and they have encountered, and, 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 then, uh, and then what happens is we say, God, get me out of it. And then if he doesn't answer just the way we think he should, what happens is we get disillusioned, we get angry with God, right? God, you didn't answer the prayer like I thought you were going to answer. I don't even know if I believe in you. And you have this wrestle with inside every human being. And we, we all have that some, somewhere that's no more. And I think what God wants to begin to shift the purpose of our prayer and to focus it on the right place. And we're going to get into what that is in a moment. Some people approach prayer as to inform God. We bring our list of needs before God and we say, and it's almost like we're giving Him information and He's up there going, how did you know that? Um, God is omniscient. He knows everything. He, God says he knows our needs before we even ask Him to but there are times that, that we make what, what we the big word supplications, which means that we bring needs before them. There's a time to pray for that, but that really should never be the beginning place of our prayer. It's a part of prayer, but it's not the starting point. In the Bible, and through you know whatever your history is, but there's prayers again of need, there's prayers of praise, and prayers of prayers of healing, deliverance, there's prayers of desire, repentance, help. But all of those must be preceded by the main purpose of prayer. And I'm going to get into what that is in just a moment. But in the, these next few weeks, we're going to be exploring how to pray, what we should pray for, and what prayer is more in a more in-depth way. But before we get there, today I want to talk about what I feel is the foundation, the intention, the purpose of prayer. And so I'm going to go to the next slide. The, the chief purpose of prayer is this. And you, can just, you can boil it all down to this relationship with God and God. The chief purpose of prayer, folks, is relationship with God and knowing Him. God created each one of us. Again, there is, I know, people that lived in history, there's billions of people, and, and, and we look at all this vastness of human beings from planet Earth who have lived, who will live, and we think, wow, God can have a relationship with each and every one of us individually. He wants that? Yes, He does. 
That's why we can't define God by human terms and human reasoning. He's not like us. Isaiah 55 is one of the most uh, beautiful sovereignty of God passages. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't get it. We just have to trust and believe. And that's about faith. It's just that God's way bigger. And yet He's so big that He can have an independent, individual, intimate relationship with you and me. But we're created to know Him. And look what Nehemiah, uh, here again, verse 5. Look, look, look what Nehemiah starts out with. He says, He hears the word. Here's what's happening, bad circumstances. And again, he doesn't say, God, look at what's going on. Get us out of this. He says the first words, Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And then he says, Who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him in the way of sin. This is a prayer of somebody that knows God. He's declaring who God is in the midst of horrible circumstances. Because a lot of times, if you're going through a hardship, if you're going through a very difficult time, the first thing that you're not jumping to is how awesome God is. Or His unfailing love. Right? And Steve says that you know, when you're the log in the fire, that's a hard place to see the awesomeness and loving parts of God. But here's Nehemiah. I mean, he's in captivity. Here's the reality of what's going on. But this is the prayer of a man who knows God. And that's what God wants to bring us to a place to say, God, I don't get it. You are awesome and you're full of love. You are good in spite of all of this. And so he makes the declaration of who God is. It's the prayer of a man who knows God. And so it's hard. You don't just come to a place like that be able to pray like that. This is a, it's a process, guys, of relationship and knowing God. And God wants us to know Him. Again, He created us to know Him and be known by Him. And as I said before, that was His original intention of creating people. He did not create us because He was lonely. He didn't create us because he's thinking, you know, man, I can show you some companionship right now. I think I'll make Adam and Eve. He really didn't. He didn't need human beings. And which, which makes me love him more is that he chose us. You wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be alive today if God didn't have a plan of purpose for you. And so his intention was to know people and to be known by them. He said that, again, you see the original intention in the cool of the deck. It says we would go and talk with Adam and Eve and be with them. And yes, they ruled around the garden. He gave them certain jobs to do. And he said, you'll steward this. And you'll manage just like us. He gives you a job. He gives you your sphere of influence. And, and he would come in the, in the cool of the day just to be with them, to talk with them, to relate to them, to know them and be known by them. But we all know the story, right? As I said before, the sin, they rejected his way, that they became God of their own lives. And what happened with that is... There was a severing of how the relationship was. Because of sin, a holy God could not be with them. They, they had chosen sin, and so he separated himself from them. Not because he didn't, not, not because he stopped loving them, it's because a holy God mixed with sinful man, one thing's going to die, and it's not the holy God. 
And so God in His mercy separated from people. And so He said, I can't be near sin because they will, they will, it will kill them. So the relationship as it was was severed, was, was torn. And so God was still a God of relationship, but it was different. In the Old Testament times, again, you see God relating to the people different than He did with without an angel. He still loved people, but He would have to speak to people through leaders, through prophets, remember? He would call Moses up the mountain and He said, Moses, here's my commands, here's, my, here's the, the, the rules, the guidelines that the people must live by. Go down there and tell them what I've given you. And so he would deal with, and he called Moses as a leader, speak to him. And then you see, again, the prophet, God would speak audibly to the prophet. Here's my word. Now you go tell the people. So there was a mediator, right? There was, a, there was an in-between person, a middleman, if you will, that you have to come because I cannot approach them because of their sinfulness. So all just die. There's a few glimpses that you see even though his relational heart. There's a man in Genesis, Enoch, who says Enoch walked with God and then he was not for God, took him. And you see a friendship with God. Abraham was called a friend of God. David was called a man after God's own heart. They, these guys, although it was, the relationship was broken down like it was, they still had an understanding. He is relational. You have to approach him differently, but he's still loving and relational. David thought probably better than most. In Psalms, you see, he reveals the heart of God. Because God didn't, God didn't change his love and his relationship. It was just a different discovery the way it was. And so then, there was this Old Testament system that most of you know, and this is going to lead into our kind of closing vision of communion in just a few minutes. And so, God sets up this system on how man can approach God in that system where the relationship was torn and broke down. He raised up priests among the people, right? So, for example, let's say I was the priest of you, and I'm your pastor today, but I, I, let's say I was an Old Testament priest. And what I would do is I would, you guys would come to me, I was your mediator, basically. And I would take your sacrifice, and you guys would bring a lamb. You had to bring um, whatever the, the, the animal sacrifice was, it had to be without blemish. It had to cost you something, right? Your sin, something had to die for your sin. Something, blood had to be shed because there was sin, something must die for it. And it had to cost you something. And back then, if you had a spotless lamb and you owned livestock and you brought this one year old male lamb without spotter, you knew the value of that. And you would give it to me, understanding that this is cost, this is a great cost to me. And so as your priest, I would take and the the realization was because of sin. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, God says, do not touch the tree. Don't become your own God because when you become your own God, you will die. Now, they didn't immediately fall, fall over, but they were intended to live forever. And now death was on them. And death, because of that, death is on all of us. That's why Hebrews says that we grow old and we groan and we are waiting for our resurrected body. There's something in the Old Testament, this system, it was a temporary system. If something had to die, you would give me your sacrifice, and then the priest had to go to this altar, and it was set up 
in such a way there was a prescribed way to do it. And the priests had to obey that. They would first of all go to the altar. They would kill these animals. Kind of, I guess, a crude way of saying it was a big barbecue. They would, they would drain the blood out of it and they would offer this as a sacrifice to God. Something you send, something must die. And then they would move beyond that and then they would go to this ladle with water and they would wash all of the soot and the blood off of them because they couldn't go into and there were two rooms that they were going to be approaching and they could not go in those rooms with any kind of blood or any dirt or anything so they would change garments and they would wash themselves to get completely clean. And then they would go into this first room and the first room there were two things that they... And the symbolism of this stuff is amazing. I'm not going to get into a lot of the detail, but they were going to this first room called the Holy Place. There was a, there were three things. There was a table with bread. There was the menorah. If you've ever seen that Jewish, you know, the Jewish candle, or the menorah. What they had to do is they had to keep fresh bread on this table every day. What is the word of God called? We need fresh bread every day. Get it? The word of God. Over here, the plant, they had to put fresh oil. What is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit? Oil. They had to keep oil, had to keep it burning. We need God's Word and we need His Spirit every day. And they would keep this fresh and burning all the time. The third thing was incense. And if you've seen instances, I don't know if it was like the instance that we have, but this instance, basically, this is where the priest, I would offer your prayers and I would, I would be your mediator and I would make these prayers known to God on your behalf so that you could have forgiveness of sin. And then there was this huge, gigantic, heavy, heavy curtain. And I couldn't go back there because if I was a regular priest, the high priest, basically my boss, once a year, he could go inside this big, gigantic curtain. Once a year, they called it the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was in there. The very presence of God was in there. Now, they would have to go with a rope around their ankle, and they had bells around the bottom of their robes, and there was a reason why. They went in there with an unclean, unpure heart. They would fall over dead because a holy God with sinful man, a holy God wins every time. And they would have to pull them out because no one had the nerve to go in there after them. So once a year, they would go and be in the presence of God. Why am I saying all this? God's purpose at the very beginning is to know and to make us, to make, to, for us to know Him and to, to make Himself known to us. He wanted relationship with us. And as we close our time together today, this big curtain, and if you've ever been in a Good Friday service at the Easter story, remember when Jesus is on the cross. Jesus is on the cross and He is in agony. And there is a time where he's on the cross. Remember, there's a great shaking. Remember that? And there's an earthquake because of the significance of what's going on. And then what does it say about that curtain in the temple? It was torn from top to bottom. Folks, this is the most amazing revelation for all of us. That Old Testament system, that temporary thing. Jesus dying on the cross. He said, I am now your mediator. I'm the great high priest. I am making access to the Father. You don't need to have a high priest. I'm inviting you into my presence. And the curtain temple was torn from top to bottom as if to say, I never wanted that curtain there in the beginning of And so Jesus dies for us and He makes a way to the Father. He repairs and restores relationship with God. I can't believe you're not that excited. 
folks, this is great news. All of this, and God said, this is a temporary thing because I always, I want relationship with you. And here's God's response to your sin and brokenness. He sends His Son to die for you. Let that sink in. Let that sink into your heart every single day you wake up. That God's response to your sin was sending His one and only Son to die in your place. So that you won't have to die if you live your life in your heart to Him. And that curtain rips from top to bottom and God is saying, the veil has been torn. Now you can all come into my presence. Not by your own merit, not by your own goodness, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Hebrews, what God says about this. Moses is saying this. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. He's taken this blood which God has commanded you to keep. Does that sound familiar when Jesus was giving the Last Supper? This is the blood of the covenant. Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. He said, in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. He said, so they had to be cleansed. And they, they, it was a ceremonial purification back in that day. In fact, verse 22, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We cannot have forgiveness unless something dies. That something did die. His name was Jesus. It was a once and, all, for, once and for all sacrifice. Nothing needed to be done. We don't need to kill animals again because the Lamb of God who keeps away the sins of the world has to the price for us. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, clap for them, please. Thank you, Jesus. And then Hebrews 4 tells us that because of what he did, we can now approach boldly the throne of grace. We can go in and we can say, you want to know me. Romans 8 says this, because of what Christ did, we can now approach God and call him Abba Father. That's a relational word. It's always been about relationship. We can cry out, Abba Father. Our spirits can cry out to him, Abba Father. You are my father. You are my dad. I love you. And I can approach you boldly. Some of you guys, you know when you have kids and they're little and they need something, they don't care who you're talking to. They don't care what you're doing. All they care is, I have a need that needs to be met and I'm coming to you. And they will tug on you and they will go, hey, 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 hey. You know what they're doing? It's a significant thing. And I'm not saying it's always a good thing that they do that. But you know what the picture they're pointing is? I'm boldly approaching you because you're my dad, you're my mom, and I know what I'm going to get from you. And we can approach and says we can boldly approach the throne room of grace because of what Jesus did. God, thank you that you love me. I don't need a high priest to go before me. You don't need me to go to the Father for you. God wants to know you each and every day. The purpose of prayer is to know Him and be known by Him. What a great lead into community. So we're going to close today with community. Why do we do this? You know, and some of you guys, if you've done this before, whatever your, your religious upbringing, whatever your background is, we take these elements, the, 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 the bread and the, and the grape juice, and it's a symbol. It's a memorial service to Christ. 
Jesus did it right before he died. What he was doing is he was pointing to that Old Testament thing. He said, you know what you guys were doing way back then and you guys have been doing up until now? It was a foreshadowing of the type of what I was going to do. It was pointing to my sacrifice. It was always about that. And so he fulfilled the law by dying and saying, I, I'm fulfilling the Passover. And so they're celebrating the Passover. The Passover, they would take that bread and they would break it. And what did Jesus do? And when he was sitting with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it and he said, and all this thing that you've been doing is a symbolic because what I'm about to do, this is right before you die, and so that I'm going to be broken for you. They're going to beat me beyond recognition. I'm going to be scourged for your sins. And he took our sins upon it. He himself, he knew no sin became sin for us. And then he took the, the wine and he said, this is the symbolic of the blood that I was shed for you. It's the blood that yeah, yeah, something needed to die. Blood needed to be shed because of sin. That's what you're doing when you do this. You're remembering what I did for you. Then later on, Paul says to the Corinthian church, he said, I'm passing on to you. Keep doing this. And that's why we do it. We do it on a regular basis. He said, but you're proclaiming his death until he returns. And what we're doing is, again, it's, it's proclaiming his death, proclaiming his resurrection, proclaiming the price that you paid, and the price of what? To have a relationship with you and me. Let that sink in when you take communion that you say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life to me. Thank you that you want relationship. You're inviting me into relationship every day. And folks, the purpose of prayer, I encourage you to begin to pray like you've never prayed before, but get to know Him. The purpose of prayer is to know Him and to walk in relationship. And just like Nehemiah, we begin to say, God, you are an awesome God. That's how we begin to pray. Next, next week or in a couple of weeks, we, we will talk about that he begins to ask God and he begins to repent and look at the aspects of prayer. But the first thing of prayer, if you don't get anything else, you have to be the foundation of prayer is a relationship, it's a communication. When we have a relationship with each other, what is the chief way we relate? It's communication. We talk. People that can't speak, there's sign language, there's communication. We're talking with one another. God wants relationship with you. That you get up every day and you say, God, I want to know who you are. Show me something about yourself. I'm going to get into that a little more next week about how you can get to know him more. But I encourage you to get up every day and begin to just thank him and love him. And God, this is who you are. You are awesome. You are full of unfailing love. Help me to walk with you today. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this awesome time that we could be together to worship you to love you, to serve you. Thank you, Lord, that you want relationship with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you healed and restored the relationship that was broken so many years ago. That, Father, your your response to our sin was to send Jesus to, to repair and heal the relationship. I pray that every person in this room, God, that we would walk out of here today in a new way walking in relationship with you, our hearts, giving you our life. I'm all in God. I'm all yours. I love you. And I want to serve you. And I want to walk with you. Lord, I pray as we take communion today that we would remember. We would remember. We would proclaim your death and the price that you pay every day for us. God, we honor you in Jesus' name. Um, so, 